Juan was born in the middle of Spain, about 67 miles east of Madrid. His father was an accountant employed by a very wealthy family, but he lost his job for political reasons. His father died when Juan was only three, and his older brother died of malnutrition only two years later. Because of the family poverty, Juan was sent to a boarding school for the desperately poor, run by the church because there were no state-run schools for the poor. He was introduced to God and given a religious education. He was an altar boy in the local parish, and when older, he began to work in a Catholic hospital. When Juan was old enough, he entered formation to become a priest. At first, he was attracted to the austere lifestyle of the Carthusian monks who live a life of silence and solitude. But following an inner call he could not describe, he became a Carmelite priest. He was sent to the University of Salamanca to study theology, and he fell in love with the study of the Bible and with the ways of God. Juan found himself in an awkward position when he returned home. He was uncomfortable with what he perceived in the Carmelites as a lifestyle that was too comfortable, too worldly, something he wanted to change. But he was young and not in a position to introduce reforms to their lifestyle. Four years after ordination to the priesthood, Juan met a woman. Not just any woman, mind you, but a like-minded, very stubborn Carmelite nun who also thought that the Carmelite order had become too liberal, too comfortable with the world. She wanted to restore the Carmelite order to its earlier, stricter, more spiritual lifestyle. She invited him to follow her to Avila to be her confessor and spiritual director, and he agreed. Politics became involved with the church as the king wanted to use the church for his own political purposes. Tension arose between the king and the pope, who insisted that the church should not be used for the king's ambitious purpose. This led to dramatic, even sometimes violent disagreement within the Carmelites. The same king had already usurped the work of the Dominican order and their direction of the Inquisition, turning the Inquisition into a puppet and and an enforcement arm of the state. As an aside, when you hear tales of the excesses of the Spanish Inquisition, remember it was not the church but the king who was behind them. Life for Juan would take a dramatic turn as the divisions among the Carmelites deepened. Although Juan was following directions from the Pope to help reform his order and restore its deep spiritual life, the more secular Carmelites were determined to resist. A group of Carmelite priests broke into the monastery in Avila and kidnapped Juan. They took him by force to the order's main house in Toledo, 
where he was placed on trial for disobedience and imprisoned. A cell was constructed for him in the monastery that was so small he could barely lie on the floor. He was fed only bread and water and occasional scraps of salted fish. Each week he was carried out into public and lashed, then returned quickly to his cell. His only luxuries were a prayer book and an oil lamp to read it by. To pass the time, he wrote poems on paper that was smuggled to him by the friar charged with guarding his cell. After nine months, Juan managed to pry open his cell doors and escape at night. He found refuge at a monastery of nuns in Toledo that was part of the reform. He spent six weeks hiding in their infirmary, recovering from his wounds and from his malnutrition. The next year, the Pope would step in powerfully, authorizing a split in the Carmelite order. Juan and Teresa were free to continue their reforms of a new Carmelite tradition called today, four and a half centuries later, by the same name they used, the discalced or shoeless Carmelites. From his cell, Juan de la Cruz wrote mystical poetry so beautiful that he is considered one of the most important poets in European history. We know his works. They include The Dark Night of the Soul and Ascent of Mount Carmel. Today, in our own Diocese of Harrisburg, we have four monasteries of Carmelites. Yes, you heard that correctly, four. First begun in 1953 in the town of Mount Carmel, one group of nuns is now located in Danville. When I was master of ceremonies for then Bishop Keeler, our bishop, any time we drove near their monastery, he insisted that we stop. He was always giving them intercessions and things to pray for, and they called themselves Keeler's Kneelers. In 2009, another group of Carmelite nuns came to Elysburg, an hour and a half north of here, because their numbers were outgrowing their monastery in Nebraska. Even today, in Elysburg, they are burgeoning with new vocations to the cloistered life of prayer, and because so many young women are joining them, they have started a new monastery in Fairfield, near Gettysburg. This latest addition is a Carmelite monastery for monks, also in Fairfield, near the Carmelite monastery of nuns. All of these follow the reforms of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Listen again to what the prophet Isaiah taught us in our first reading. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fruitful and fertile, 
giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Juan de la Cruz, Saint John of the Cross, had a purpose in life. And despite one obstacle after another, God's will for his life would not be defeated. But Juan had to cooperate, had to be patient, had to be strong in suffering, had to hold on to his thirst to do God's will, even when everyone around him, from the powerful to the pious, told him he was wrong. For this, he needed God's grace. Listen again to the prayer you dared to say amen to at the beginning of Mass. It is a plea and a testimony to the work of God, the grace of God. This prayer is the manifesto of your life in Jesus. O God, who show the light of your truth to those who go astray so that they may return to the right path, give all who for the faith they profess are accounted Christians the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ and to strive after all that does it honor. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Now let's break this prayer down to its essentials. God, give me the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Jesus and to strive after all that does it honor. This is the prayer that guides your life. It sets a path and it defines its parameters. It keeps you at peace in God's loving will, and it leads you to heaven. Do this, reject everything that is not of Jesus, and run after everything that is, and you will know your purpose in life. You will overcome every obstacle to its fulfillment and you will join St. John of the Cross and his dear friend Teresa of Avila in the arms of God in heaven. God, give me the grace to reject everything that is not of Jesus and to run after everything that is. This is why God put you on this earth.